The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. How are you doing today, Dror? I'm doing great, Mark. And yourself? It's another great day uh, at the Video Insiders podcasting headquarters. So today, uh, you know, we talk a lot about uh, video and streaming and HDR and images, but uh, every video has an audio, right? Right. Uh, we are not we are way in, the silent, in, in the silent picture uh, days. Exactly. We're way beyond that. And today we are going to talk about audio, all about audio, with Manuel Briand from AT&T, who is a real uh, expert on audio technologies. So uh, hello, Manuel, and welcome to the Video Insiders. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Welcome, Manuel. We're so happy to have you. This is great. You know, I'm I'm really a true fan of your podcast, so I'm I'm really honored to uh, to be on today. For me, it's kind of funny because I'm one of those people who is lucky enough to have a job that deals with something that actually very passionate about. You know, and that's been the case for me all my life as always been passionate about music growing up, uh, playing instruments. And uh, I was one of these early adopters of surround sound like 25 years oh, ago. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, wow. Yeah, I don't know if you remember. Um, when I Remember, it was called Home Theater. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I, okay, okay. So, uh, all right. Maybe this is going to turn into Home Theater, you know, History 101. But okay, what was your system? Like 20, what did you start with 25 years ago? I had the Dolby uh, ProLogic yeah. uh, system. That was my first system. And, you know, I was showing my, my college buddies and how to make it work, yeah. how to turn it on and what content to get and how do you actually experience it the best, yes. you know. And I would just host my college buddies in my, my tiny room, uh, student room, and we'd just be watching content, enjoying the best possible um, soundtracks out there. It was, it was great. Okay, so I have, a, I have a question for you. How many times have you watched Fifth Element? Oh, man, that movie. <laughs> that movie was so good. Okay, that's how I know you are a true videophile, a true home theater videophile, because if you haven't watched it at least like 25 times, then yeah, I know. Okay, well, you, you know, because <laughs> you remember, know. right? That was the reference. So good. And I'm a huge fan of Luc Besson movies. So yeah, no, for sure. And, and you, really, you really hit the passion here because uh, Mark and I are also very passionate about uh, music. And uh, uh, we like to, uh, to make music, to record music, listen to music, of course. That's great. Yeah. And yeah. not sure if you guys can tell already, but, you know, I'm French. Uh, surprise. <laughs> so, so, you know, my philosophy is like somewhat related to my roots. I always say, you know, a, a movie without a good soundtrack is like dinner without wine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, so it's, it's always been a big um, thing for me, sound, audio. And, you know, I started working on uh, new voice and music compression techniques um, with European operators uh, in France and Sweden with Orange and Ericsson, uh, where I was really focused on mobile networks then. 
And then I moved to the US and I uh, worked on developing audio streaming technologies at DTS. And then, you know, I basically, I'm in the process of, of rolling out those audio uh, streaming technologies with DirecTV, now AT&T, where I'm uh, highly involved in the development of the DirecTV satellite service and the AT&T TV streaming service as well. As for my day-to-day, you know, I have uh, an audio-video architecture role across content, legal, product, and engineering teams internally, so I can, you know, evaluate new upcoming streaming technologies that run in the cloud or on-premise, and also, you know, help define the audio-video strategy with my leadership, manage the execution uh, with product and engineering teams. I'm responsible for making the audio experience of AT&T video services as good as they possibly can. You know, that means provide AT&T wireless, satellite, and broadband customers with a premium experience that is effortless, immersive, and consistent. What do I mean by effortless? That sounds probably basic, but at the end of the day, when you press play on your video, you want sound, the audio and the video, to come out instantaneously, and you want them to be in sync, right? Another thing about effortless is, that is very important, I think, is can you hear the dialogue okay? Most of the the content uh, that we distribute, you know, has a strong dialogue and story about it. So we need that to be crystal clear. And we don't want people to have to reach out to the remote or the UI. Um, we want this to be very intuitive. That's, that's important. And then, you know, I, I want what I mean by immersive is like, I want to make you feel like you're there. If you're watching um, the Lakers game, I wanted you to feel like you are at the Staples Center. Or if you're watching Game of Thrones, I want you to feel you're at Castle Black. Um, and then finally, the consistency is probably one of the most difficult ones, is that we want the experience to remain the same across all services. So one of the most important aspects for consistency for audio is the sound level, is the audio loudness, as we call it in the industry. And we want to make that as consistent as possible across live, VOD, video on demand, uh, cloud DVR. So across all these different uh, services, we want the audio loudness to be consistent. And we also want that to be consistent going from programs to ads, from ads back to programs. And, you know, so that's kind of um, what brings the complexity to the workflow, you know, and what's very important in my in my role. You know, we all agree that um, without audio that is compelling and meets those objectives that you just laid out, um, you can have literally, you know, flawless, perfect video and the presentation is ultimately going to fail. So why don't we start uh, with that? Maybe it's helpful to give us an overview of uh, of some of the key audio coding principles, you know, that are used by the standard codecs today. So, yeah, I'd love to walk you through the main um audio coding technology principles, discuss the most deployed standards 
um, in our video industry and look at the current market adoption uh, today. I think that could be interesting. Cool. So, you know, an audio signal typically um, is over the past decades has been categorized as, as either voice, speech, or music, more of a broader audio signal. Um, and typically, the ITU standardization body was the organization looking at standardizing speech uh, codecs for um, mobile networks. And MPEG was more looking at audio coding technologies uh, for broader type of transmission for broadband and broadcast and and um, and such, right? And the principles that that go with speech and audio coding are a little different. At first, initially, speech coding was basically using time domain prediction to reduce redundancies. So on the video world, that's probably more like your interframe video coding, mm-hmm. right? And Audio coding, you know, it's more of a perceptual frequency domain type coding. This is more of your intraframe video coding, if I'm if I'm correct, guys. Yeah, in the um, audio coding, when you talk about um, uh, perceptual masking and and uh, and psychoacoustical models, it's actually more advanced or st- started earlier than video because in video only today. We're talking about psychovisual models and putting perceptual quality measures into the encoding. But in audio, it was, it was always one of the principles of encoding music. The way it works typically is like the way we hear sounds, we have our, our um, auditory system as the ability to filter sound in a very advanced manner. Um, and the way we, um, do that with our encoding system is we create you know a nonlinear frequency scale uh, also called the box scale uh, this perceptual frequency scale of subbands and then we are gonna model the signal in each of those subbands and calculate this masking thresholds for each of those subbands and the the goal of uh, transform and audio coding is to you know, define a quantization noise that will be under this masking threshold so that it will be non-audible. You won't be able to perceive it. If you go above the masking threshold, then you will be able to perceive artifacts. You will be having quantizing the signal too too much. You will have been too far, right? Um, so those are the, the principles of speech audio coding um, at ITU and MPEG. And then I think MPEG really came out, you know, with uh, advanced tools to reduce the bit rates um, that are now used a lot on for mobile communications. Probably the most used today is the spectral band replication that is used in the AAC family codec. Spectral band replication is basically a, a concept where you generate the um, higher part of the frequency bandwidth based on the low frequency portion of the spectrum. So you're gonna calculate some scale factors in the frequency domain to derive the upper subbands 
from the low frequency subbands. So it's a parametric method and you can define adaptively the transition frequency between what's going to be coded typically with your core codec with the um, you know the regular psychoacoustical model that we defined before and what's going to be above that transition frequency that we'll use SBR metadata to um, reconstruct the best possible way the high frequency portion of the spectrum. So that, that's interesting. Basically, what you're saying is that instead of encoding all of the frequencies in the audio signal, you're only encoding the lower frequencies and some metadata. And on the receiver side, on the decoder side, that metadata is used to reconstruct the higher frequencies from information that is contained in the lower frequencies. Absolutely. And by doing that, you can save signif significantly um, lower the bitrate about at least 20% of your initial bitrate. That's, and that's what for one audio channel, right? And typically for audio, um, you have more than just one. For stereo, you'd have two channels. For surround sound, you may have 5.1, so six channels, um, etc. right? So now you can do some even more advanced parametric coding by doing some calculation in between those channels. So this was initially called the binaural cue coding scheme, uh, later adopted by MPEG and now called parametric stereo, which uh, calculate inter-channel time and level differences between those uh, left, right, and surround channels to basically define parameters that will help you regenerate multi-channel audio from only one channel. Mm -hmm. So basically, even though you have multi-channel audio, the information in all of these channels uh, has a lot of similarities. So you only need to encode one channel and the differences between that base to each one of the channels. And, and those differences are relatively small uh, relative to the magnitude of the channel itself. Yes, yeah, so the, exactly. And the, the time and level differences are uh, what we call spatial cues and the, they can be correlated with the spatial position of a sound source in space. You can map these time and level differences to an azimuth and an elevation of a sound source in space. So that's how you can recreate uh, sound in space using spatial cues that way. It was first done uh, with parametric stereo in this codec and it's been later on extended with um, other standards that we're going to cover as well. One important point as well that uh, I think can relate to video is today a very hot topic on in video coding is content aware encoding. And that's also done in uh, those audio codecs to combine speech and audio coding models together in the, in the same encoding engine. So the way it works is, you know, you get an audio signal that has both uh, moments of clean speech or noisy speech, and then it's going more to frame where there is actually more of an audio frame with music, the, the encoding engine will detect what's in the source and decide what's the, the most optimal coding mode to better compress the source. And so, so these new codecs you know, have smart ways of detect and then switch between coding modes to avoid any 
transition artifacts. Um, so that's basically the MPEG Unified Speech and Audio Coding Standards, MPEG USAC. Mm -hmm. and, but USAC, is it deployed today or is it just uh, standardized, but kind of a future deployment? Uh, it is. We have some great news there. So um, the most deployed codecs today for video streaming uh, are the AAC, MPEG AAC right. uh, codecs, so right. the two profiles, the low complexity and the high efficiency. Right. AAC profiles or you know, worldwide, worldwide use for mobile delivery of stereo audio for, you know, TV, or actually two speaker systems and headphones, so typically mobile phones. And then you have the Dolby Codex, so Dolby Digital, Dolby Digital Plus, that are used worldwide as well for more like TV, set-up boxes, uh, audio-video receivers, sound bars, and more of a multi-channel surround sound delivery. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the state of the art. That's, you know, that's done, but What's coming up, as you say, is really USAC. So it's the commercial name is Extended High Efficiency AAC is now natively supported on Android 9 and above. And this codec has a built-in dynamic range control ability and a much more efficient speech coding thanks to what we described earlier. And I think we're going to see significant announcements around extended HEAC in the very near future as well. So I'm really excited about that. On the what's really also taking off on the more of a TV market, the home market is Dolby Atmos um, using Dolby Digital Plus. It's really becoming the new standard for cinematic sound, you know, from, from the theaters to, to the home. We do it at DirecTV for live on our 4K channels, for the Olympics, for some college football, for some NBA games. And then on the SVOD market, I mean, it's blooming. It's, you know, Netflix, Prime, Apple TV+, Plus, Disney+, Plus. everybody's embracing this technology today. So I think when you're excuse me, when you're saying Dolby Atmos with uh, Dolby Digital Plus, what does that mean? So typically, it's like the latest extension of um, Dolby Digital Plus, where they added a joint object coding mode, so that you can actually uh, enable an immer immersive distribution of channel-based immersive content. So there is something to be clarified, I think, on the next generation audio between what's on the market today and what uh, technology standards can offer. So what we have on the market today is channel-based immersive audio with, for example, uh, 5.1 plus 4 overhead channels. So you can use um, speakers in the ceiling, or you can use a soundbar that has up-firing speakers that will, that will basically send waveforms to the ceiling and then bounce back to your head, right? You don't necessarily need to have speakers in your ceiling benefit from that immersive experience. So this is still channel-based audio, but with a lot more channels than 5.1. Typically, you can see 12 channels, 16 channels uh, of audio. Mm -hmm. And this and is all Dolby Digital Plus. This is all Dolby Digital Plus, and it's uh, it's live today. You can and you know all of the like I said the the satellite and uh, over the top as well services are are doing it. Mm -hmm. 
And then what the standards, the technology standards can do, of course, they can do that part. They can do the channel-based immersive, but they can also do object-based audio and scene-based audio. Uh, so what we mean by object-based audio, it's a different thing compared to channel in the sense that the channel is mixed by an audio engineer, encoded, transmitted, decoded, and played back. It's a very fixed, tight control of what the audio experience will be. You need the speaker to be at a certain position for a given channel to sound as expected. Mm -hmm. With object-based audio, you can transmit a sound source with additional metadata all the way down to the playback device and let the playback device figure out how to render the decoded audio. Mm, I see. Right. So it's a, it's a more flexible approach for the end user because now if your speakers are not, you know, perfectly placed in your living room or if you, you know, you don't have a complete 5.1 system, you have a 3.1 system or you have only two overhead, not four overhead or, you know, it will adjust to the speakers you have uh, in your living room uh, or the phone and the, the speakers you have on your phone as well. You know, this applies to, to any type of uh, connected device at the end of the day. And so much listening is happening on, on headphones even that um, it seems like this is really critical technology, uh, you know, to preserve the entertainment experience. Absolutely. And this is already deployed, the object-based audio or not? Uh, so the object-based audio is very close. I think in Korea, in Europe, in the US, we all have been doing tests. Uh, we've been, have been doing trials. And I think Korea is starting to deploy. They are a little bit ahead of the curve over there, but I think we're still, overall, the industry is still in the period of testing and figure out how to best deploy object-based audio. Uh, when it comes to headphones, there's another aspect of those standards that's really relevant is the scene-based audio using high-order ambisonics, HOA, which is another type of representation of sound. It's basically looking at sound from a sound field perspective. So you describe audio now with the coefficients of a sound field of the entire 3D audio space. Wow. And yeah, it's <laughs> fascinating. Uh, some, you know, there are a lot of research and actually progress in that field for the last, you know, 20 years is tremendous. I mean, we, we were doing first order ambisonics at very high bit rate, like above one megabit per second for audio. It's a lot, yeah, you know? A lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and now you can do higher order ambisonic at, the bitrate you transmit 5.1 uh, legacy today. So there's been tremendous progress on the scene-based audio and the quality of experience you can get uh, for headphones playback is amazing. There are some actually uh, music services uh, now launching based on those technologies. That's really interesting, you know, this, this overview of audio technologies and techniques because uh, what I find fascinating is that uh, many of these audio techniques have parallel in, in the video world. Like you compared, you know, the, the uh, intraframe and interframe coding 
uh, to what was done in audio coding, um, I, I can find a few more. For example, if you go, if you discuss, uh, talk about SBR, and this is, uh, you know, sending only the low frequencies and metadata and then reconstruction, reconstructing the higher frequencies at the decoder, um, video is now being standardized in a way that is quite similar. Uh, if you look at MPEG-5 part two, this is a standard that actually transmits a base layer of video at low resolution and some metadata, and then the higher resolution is reconstructed from the lower one using that metadata on the decoder side. So that's that's kind of a interesting uh, uh, parallel. And you talked about object-based audio. And obviously we had object-based video. It wasn't very successful, but uh, when the MPEG-4 standard came out and it had components for video and system and audio and all of that, but it also was very strongly object-based, uh, defining objects in space. Uh, they had uh, the BIFs, which was the binary interchange format for scenes, which defined different objects. Uh, th the issue there was that it was very difficult to take a natural scene and, and try to find those objects and uh, represent them. But uh, it's, it's very similar. And now, finally, we're talking about audio fields. Uh, so I guess the parallel in the video world is the light fields, where you're trying to represent not pixels, but voxels in space. Uh, so you can have a really immersive experience. Yeah, no, I think audio inspires video and video inspire audio. I think it's a, such a great combination and I can't wait to see uh, light feeds together with high order ambisonics and be completely immersed. You know, it's going to be so yeah, cool. Yeah, absolutely. Help us, help us understand where Dolby and DTS fit into all of this. And, and my question, you know, maybe because of, again, my longstanding history of, of surround audio and formats, uh, uh, maybe it's a little bit less of an issue today, but it seems like, you know, there might be some who are listening who are saying, but where does just DTS and the DTS formats, and you can even break down really quick um, what those are, because I know that they, they too are introducing new formats. Um, obviously, everybody's familiar with, uh, you know, as we've already said, Dolby Digital, Dolby Digital Plus, you know, Dolby Atmos. But where where do these formats fit in uh, into, you know, these this technology overview that you just gave us? Sure. So I'd separate two things. I'd separate the experience and the codec or format. So in terms of experience, we went from stereo music to 5.1 home theater and now to immersive mm. audio. Immersive audio, as I said, is still China's base on the field today. And Dolby came out with their own word for it in terms of immersive audio experience, they call it yes. Dolby Atmos. So that's for the experience. Now on the format and codecs, typically you have uh, three major uh, immersive audio codecs. You have the MPEG-H system that supports channel-based, object-based, and scene-based. So it's very complete. Then you have Dolby Atmos, uh, sorry, excuse me, Dolby AC4, which is going to be the next generation that supports both immersive uh, audio and, sorry, channel-based and object-based. 
And finally, DTSX, which is another format that supports like MPEG-8, channel-based, object-based, and, and scene-based. Uh, even though I think the first version that came out for, for DTSX was only channel-based yeah. and object-based. Yeah, so typically, again, you know, there is a little discrepancy in what the standards or the yeah, the standards can do and what the market has adopted. So we have adopted channel-based immersive. We are looking into object-based uh, for streaming. And the VR, uh, AR360 word has been um, starting to use scene-based audio for those interactive experiences as well. You know, one of the questions that I have is, um, so a, a lot of us uh, who are involved in video encoding are effectively handed a, and I'm speaking now from more of a, a VOD, SVOD perspective, but we're, we're handed a MES file and then, you know, encode it. <laughs> and that MES file, you know, has some sort of audio package with it always. And, uh, and, and in some cases, the, the audio may even already be encoded and, and depending on, uh, on the service and the business model, you know, maybe that audio track is just muxed after the video encode and it's really not even touched, you know, in other cases it might get, you know, re-encoded or, 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 um, you know, might get uh, put into some other format or standard, but in, in your experience, um, are, are you seeing, is this what you're seeing as well, you know, for the services that you're involved in, uh, that you're supporting, you know, is this largely what happens? And if it is, is that going to be changing where services are going to have more control over what, uh, what codecs, what formats, what standards they might be able to encode, you know, their soundtracks in or, you know, how, how does that look for you? Yeah, I think uh, you basically have no choice than to take control of your audio-video delivery because of the fragmentation of the uh, streaming market today. Across devices, you know, and as you're giving this profile, I'm thinking, wow, this is so exciting. And yet I have users now, um, you know, in some ways, I think it might be safe to say there's more fragmentation on the audio um, support side than even video, because, you know, we can say safely on video that, uh, H264 AVC is supported. I mean, it's really not stretched to say it's supported on a hundred percent of devices today, you know, okay, maybe it's 99.5%, but you know, for all intents and purposes, it's a hundred percent. You can say every consumer that I want to access my service, you know, has a device, but when you're looking at these audio formats and these audio codecs, wow, it gets, fragmented really fast yeah but still for the basic experience i guess most devices and again 99 percent would support aac uh aac you know yeah it's the comparable comparative on the video space is avc definitely yeah. however uh you may have a lot of limitations if you limit your service to just an aac stereo delivery sure. i think you're definitely not uh differentiating it's yourself. It's not competitive today. Absolutely. It's, totally yeah, agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and also you're taking a lot of risk with yeah. um, the loudness side of the, of the equation. So, yeah. you know, it's, there are uh, 
a lot of fragmentation. I agree. Um, you know, on the lossy codec part, lossless, you also have open source codecs. There's a, there are a lot of options out there, but we are really dependent on what the, the devices can do. And we're talking such a broad range of devices. You know, we on the OTT space, we're dealing with phones, tablets, computers, setter boxes, TV sets, and then everything that goes behind it. Every HDMI sync device hooked to your TV, audio video receivers, sound bars, any That's type right. of sound system you're connected to. And we need to figure out, you know, okay, what are my hardware capabilities? What type of drivers do I have on that chipset? What type of software capabilities do I have? Is that a native OS decoder? Or yes. do I need to have a custom-based player to support my audio stream? And then those are hardware, software. How about acoustics? Am I using headphones or am I using speakers? What type of speakers? Where are they placed on the phone? How many um, do we have? Is it two speakers, three, five? Is it a soundbar with 10 speakers? You know, the variety of the devices impose us to really take control of what we're going to deliver in the best possible way. I guess my question is this, does a service have more option to decide, you know, they want to offer a wider range of codecs based on all of the different audio device support that's out there? Yeah, so there is a little bit of both. Definitely some of the MES uh, delivery are encoded with the Dolby digital uh, codec, and we can definitely pass through that uh, to the devices. But that's only for a minority of the devices we are targeting. As I mentioned earlier, there is a lot more. So we need to cater for those other devices and generate other type of streams. And also, more and more, we're getting uncompressed audio with the MES packages together with our ProRes. Typically, we'll get some, some high-quality audio that we can encode and for the right type of device. And so for that, you know, you can have different encoding strategies. I think the most basic strategy is, you know, okay, what's my, my worst case available bandwidth? Or what I guess people would have in mind um, the video space is what's left after I have used all my bits for the video. <laughs> And, uh, and and today I think in, in Dash it's it's separate, right? The the delivery of video and audio. Yes, yeah, so I'll definitely come to that. So you know that first approach is typically people have done before. They'd be like, okay, let's have a CBR approach with single bitrate and hope things work. Turns out, turns out your service is not going to be very stable. Uh, so a more advanced encoding strategy is like. Okay, how can I be a bit more adaptive? How can I use an ABR approach, an adaptive bitrate with multiple variants of the same content? The same thing as your ABR video ladder, but for audio. And then, you know, you need to make sure those two ladders match well. You don't, you want to have high quality audio selected with high quality video. You don't want to have a high quality video variant selecting a low quality audio variant, you know, that wouldn't be a good match. That wouldn't deliver a good quality of experience. So sure, there are mechanisms in Dash and HLS 
to make sure you do the right match between those ladders. But, you know, ultimately, the player will make the selection based on client capabilities and available bandwidth, right? So I could give you a couple of examples uh, there. You know, um, AT&T, our service definitely use an audio ladder uh, for our mobile delivery. So only for uh, devices connected to a mobile network. We rely definitely on the MPEG uh, HEAC codec for that. And we have a ladder uh, on that just for, for mobile. And that has really helped us get improve the startup time. Um, mm-hmm. Now you can look at Netflix that released recently their high quality audio feature where they have a 5.1 and Atmos encoding ladders, which go, I think, you know, it goes more than half a megabit per second just for the audio piece, right? So we're getting to a point where um, really audio really does matter and uh, we need to really take it seriously when we design the workflow and how we mix and match it with, uh, with the video. How many layers do you typically have for um, adaptive bitrate audio? Uh, Typically, you don't necessarily need to have too many. I would say that just by having two or three, you will really drastically improve the experience. Mm. Is this as simple as um, having, you know, for example, a higher bit rate of 5.1, maybe, you know, 640 kilobits, and then you've got another version at 448 or, you know, maybe a little lower, or is it going from 5.1 to stereo? So I'll tell you, I'm relating this to a personal experience I had, which was really interesting just a couple of days ago, but I was watching a movie and it, it switched down from a, um, I, w- I was on the 1080p profile, you know, the highest profile and, and it clearly switched down to, I think probably even 480p because the video quality got, you know, I mean, it was very noticeable. Now, previously on this same service, when that happens and doesn't happen very often, cause I've got pretty reliable bandwidth, but for whatever reason, it switched down. Previously, my audio basically didn't change because it remained in 5.1. And so even though I'm watching the movie and the video quality clearly was degraded because going from 1080p to 480p and much lower, you know, bit rate allocation, it it quickly comes back. And it's like, it was just a little glitch. Like I, I forgot about it as quickly as it happened. However, a couple days ago, it went to stereo. And it was so jarring that in my mind tells me that we want to, as long as possible, keep the soundtrack in the same, you know, format. Um, and so is that, is that what's happening when you create these layers or what's your approach there? No, I don't think that's a recommended practice because if you go from one format to another, so from 5.1 to stereo, you may change codec and you want to avoid codec switching as much as possible. On your video ladder, you typically are you know, sticking to the same bitstream type. You're, right, you're just changing the payload, and, and that's what you want to do for audio as well. That's more of the recommended practice um, is to, to change the payload size, right? Yeah. And you mentioned uh, in, in, in the beginning of the talk, you mentioned a few more challenges for uh, delivery, which were related to uh, ad insertion and and loudness. Uh, Can you elaborate a bit on these challenges? 
Yes, absolutely. And there is one more uh, to that is uh, the international delivery as well. So ah, languages, yes. Yeah, so languages is, is a big one. And I think typically the number of audio languages in over-the-top delivery is growing very fast. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. seeing a lot of services delivering about 10 languages per asset. International delivery is definitely a big challenge um, over, for over the top. And then uh, ad insertion is, is another one and audio is part of it, um, especially for live service. Um, you know, you really need to deal with multiple codec types and switching between different variants. That's that's key. We, we already talked about that. But then think about now ads may be coming from different server where the content is processed in a different way uh, with different settings, different configurations. And then the program you are streaming, actually streaming live, things may change from 6 p.m., the 6 p.m. show to the 7 p.m. show. You know, there's no guarantee that the number of audio tracks is going to remain constant from one show to another and from one show to an advertisement, right? So if the user was, you know, playing back your main program in Spanish and then all of a sudden there's an ad in English coming, when you resume to your program, you want to remain where you were and you want to have the advertisement, you know, play back very smoothly in sync with the video uh, at the same audio loudness level across the programs and the ads, you know. So there's a lot of um, things to take into consideration. Well, Manuel, I, I would really like to uh, understand what is happening in the area of loudness. This is an issue in audio. You know, I'm a, um, I'm a recording engineer and spent quite a bit of time in studios and live sound and, uh, and, and, you know, especially around loud rock bands. So louder is always better, right? <laughs> Oh, geez. Especially if it goes up to 11. You know, this is a very, very interesting and surprisingly difficult uh, thing when we are talking about producing audio um, for, you know, video program material. And I, I think you can really help us understand why it is that, you know, and I'll just use service A, service B, service C, uh, you know, service A, uh, you know, I may have to turn down my my receiver. Service B, I've got to turn it up. And and service D, you know, is, is somewhere, you know, whatever. It's somewhere in a different level. And then you've got dialogue channels that are different. So help us understand what, uh, you know, is happening there around loudness and maybe some technologies that are uh, that are coming or even being deployed now to help this uh, from a consumer perspective. No, I, I hear you. I mean, this is an industry-wide problem that was solved um, back in the day for broadcast and satellite and cable thanks to um, EBU in the Europe and ATAC 85 in the US. We kind of all agreed on what should be uh, how should be prepared the content at what loudness level the content should be produced and transmitted. Um, however, with the over-the-top streaming industry and music industry, 
it's a little... We're back to the Wild West. <laughs> yes, we are. And there was basically no uh, regulation or standard targeting this type of distribution. Uh, well, thankfully, the Audio Engineering Society worked and basically brought together in the same uh, room people that um, you know deliver audio over the top um, for music and video services. And we kind of all agreed uh, to converge toward the same target loudness level as a maximum value. And that's the AES uh, 71 recommended practice. But now that's still not enough because we know that devices out there have the ability to post-process audio and eventually adjust uh, the loudness themselves, adjust the average loudness or ad adjust the dynamic range. And that may cause, you know, people not to have the experience that was intended by the content creator and end up with a situation where you can't hear what um, the actor is saying in the scene or the action scene is become way too loud. So uh, today, the, the CTA uh, 2075 document is working towards providing this type of guidance for device manufacturers so that we can all align towards uh, ensuring a consistent audio loudness. One of the major pain points is that typically there are codecs that support metadata for loudness and other codecs that don't support metadata. And typically, it's been useful in the distribution of content to have metadata to rely on to enable a better quality control of the streams and also have the devices adjust the playback loudness based on the metadata and the capabilities of the device. So we, you know, this is still work in progress for over the top, but we are making significant progress and we are trying to push the adoption for both programs, advertisement, you know, and of course all the devices out there. So stay tuned on that, really. That's good to hear. Yeah, we will definitely stay tuned. And uh, Manuel, this has really been a fascinating uh, discussion. To kind of uh, wrap this up, um, some of our listeners probably really want to know is what what uh, should they expect in the next, let's say, year or two in terms of uh, audio technologies of, and standards? What, what do you think uh, are the next things to be deployed and what should we be prepared for? Audio, you know, was something that, the video engineers would take care of. And I think more and more, that's not going to be enough. I think with the competition that you're seeing on the streaming market, um, you know, and all the SVOD services that will have to compete in terms of audio video quality of experience, um, everybody is going to have to really take good care of the audio delivery together with the best possible video delivery. Um, and I think, you know, immersive audio is today is a key differentiator, uh, definitely a premium feature for all of those services. Um, and I'm excited to see the music uh, streaming industry also uh, taking off with Sony 360 Reality Audio, which is using MPEG-H uh, for premium music services such as Tidal and Deezer. And then Amazon just... Uh, came out with their music HD service in Dolby Atmos, um, which, you know, I think it's, it's great for, 
for everybody. I think everybody wants to listen to music conveniently uh, with their mobile devices, anywhere they are, with uh, portable speakers, but also with the best possible um, immersive experience. So this is pretty exciting to see. And I think you know, one step further um, is that we could leverage object-based audio um, in our delivery and provide more compelling experience, more personalized experience. Use you know home away commentaries for um, you know uh, sporting events, for example. I think you know in the U.S. people are so um, entitled to their teams that they would really appreciate this type of services where they can listen to their home commentator. You know, um, we could apply object-based audio to episodic content and make more of a personalized experience as well uh, on SVOD, typically. And then augmented reality, virtual reality, all of those environments uh, need uh, immersive and not only immersive, but also interactive audio. So we're going to see a lot more things coming on that market uh, and those uh, headsets and um, new formats, uh, even on 2D screens, you know, with augmented reality, uh, will have a 3D audio capability. I mean, there's no way you can have an XR service without uh, any type of spatial audio. And I think that's really going to be um, very interesting to see uh, how things turns out. So. You know, again, thanks for having me. And uh, for me, like the hashtag would be uh, Sound Matters today. Sound Matters. Hey, I love it. <laughs> sound I Matters. I love it. Hashtag yeah. Sound Matters. Uh, okay. We're going to have to post that in the show notes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, Manuel, I just, again, you know, I want to echo what, what Dror said earlier. AT&T is, is very lucky to have you, uh, you know, looking after audio for them. And um, you've shared just some incredible incredible insights uh, with us. Thank you for coming on. Uh, this was really a fabulous interview. Thank you for being with the Video Insiders today. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders podcast, a production of Beamer Limited. To begin using Beamer's Codex today, go to beamer.com forward slash free to receive up to 100 hours of no-cost HEVC and H.264 transcoding every month.